This episode is brought to you by Gato Negro Wines. Find them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Gato Negro Wine, or check them out on Instagram, username Gato Negro Wine. Sip the terror of your favorite TV series with Gato Negro Wines. Gato Negro, adored everywhere. is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, recorded on, holy crap, it's Friday, March 10th, 2017. (laughs) But what number is it? I I can't remember. Oh, episode number... Uh, 311. Uh, 311. Episode... I forgot to write that part down. Episode I was so excited about putting in the holy crap thing that I forgot to write down the episode number. That's all right. Well, Jason, I've got one minute. I've got one minute to go here. Okay. So what I have one minute until is my my uh, ambulatory blood pressure meter takes, my, takes a reading. Yep. And I... Oh, here it goes. Did you hear that beep? I heard the beep. All right. So it was a very faint beep, but I heard the beep. All right. So I don't know. Do you hear the buzzing? No. No. Okay. So I don't know if the microphone is going to pick that up. Well, obviously it is if you heard it, but um, I don't know if people, you know, in the actual recording will hear that. But just in case you hear some beeping, my doctor has asked me to wear this blood pressure thing for 24 hours. So here I am wearing it. It is a giant pain in the ass and I'm not happy about it, but you know. I guess better this than walking around with high blood pressure for the rest of my life and then, you know, te- taking decades off my life. That would be bad. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to badmouth your doctor or anything, but if it's a giant pain in the ass, you're wearing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's a possibility, uh, but I don't think so. It's, it's, all I mean is it's super annoying. Oh, and... okay. So yeah, you know, taking blood pressure, it's different than, you know, taking temperatures where you can, uh, you know, pick your location. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure I'm wearing it right. Okay. Um, but I'm just disappointed in how like low tech this feels for the 21st century. It's basically like a compression arm thing that you that everyone's used at the doctor at some point, connected with a tube down to this like rather large, you know, computer thingy that's hanging off my body that records all the data. And I'm thinking this day and age, a blood pressure meter should be a little armband that goes on your arm, onboard storage, or at least wirelessly connects to this thing, and you don't even realize it's there, and, you know, it just takes its data, and maybe has a USB port for when you need to plug it in later. Right. But no, no, we got this big, awkward, stupid thing, so yeah. I don't know. I, I don't yeah. know where it is. I need to invent something that, that's better than this. I, th- I think that the, uh, the, the feelings you're feeling wearing this blood pressure uh, ambulatory blood blood pressure meter thing is actually raising your blood pressure. So, oh, I'm take sure a deep it is. breath. We'll just, you know, continue on with our our feedback episode here, and uh, we'll try and we'll try and get through this together, Chris. Okay. Well, I'm sure it is raising my blood pressure. I am I am now convinced that I'm I have white coat syndrome, and my blood pressure is always higher when I'm in the doctor's office and or wearing this thing. So I don't know what to do about that. But yep, we're gonna power through and do this here podcast.
Okay, good. And I'll try to be less angry. <laughs> if I've, you can. I've just felt so angry lately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All these things. Oh, it's okay. Deep breath. Calm blue ocean, calm blue ocean, everything's yeah. fine. My body, it's falling apart, man. I turned 42 and all this happens. How come you don't yeah. have to wear one of these? You're older than me. Uh, well, for the doctor, <laughs> that's the secret to that damn thing. That's the secret. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, that's enough of that. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. This is our feedback show. And it's Friday, like you said. This is going to be a weird feedback show because we sort of have feedback for the last two episodes. Mm -hmm. Since I was in London for Walker Stalker, we missed an episode and so we've kind of combined it up into one here hopefully it works out okay do you think it will i uh, yeah i have high hopes okay i don't have expectations i just have hopes just high hopes that's good yeah. all right well jason let's get into the feedback then and sure. quit this rambling yep listener feedback all right we're gonna start with feedback from the episode called Say Yes, which is the most recent episode. And then later on in the show, move on into some feedback from last week's episode, which was called Hostiles and Calamities. So our first item here is a call from Sam in Decatur, Georgia. Hey there, Jason and Chris. This is Sam from Decatur, Georgia. And holy crap, did you see Michonne and Rick giving each other the advanced class over and over and over again? Oh, yeah. Um, so what would the new euphemism be? It used to be, uh, you know, holder for the advanced class. Now is it going to be uh, going on a run or going on a two-day run or a three-day run? <laughs> I don't know. Jason, you got to have something for me here. What are Rick and Michonne doing? All right. Love the podcast. Thanks, guys. Uh, sex weekend scavenger hunt. <laughs> that doesn't i don't know if that's quite as uh rolly off the tonguey as um the advanced, the advanced class, class yeah well that was andrea and shane you know uh yeah, yeah i would just I, it's just a sex weekend or yeah going on a run doing a run but <laughs> <laughs> you know sex weekend scavenger hunt isn't too bad or, or just a scavenger hunt those two are on a scavenger hunt they're, uh, yeah, okay, they're on a scavenger hunt, wink, wink, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> All right, I think that's, I think that's it. Uh, scavenger hunt, anyone, anytime someone does it, that's what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> going out, yeah, you're going out for a run, or going out for, we're going on a scavenger hunt. There you we'll, go. Uh, we'll see you uh, at the end of the weekend. That's a, it's a pretty good code. It's like, yeah. uh, all right, I can live with that, that's good. All right, next we have a call from Matt in Wilmington, Delaware. Yeah, Wilmington, Delaware. And his call cut out in the middle a little bit. So I, I edited the two bits together. It mostly makes sense. Hopefully you can understand what he's getting at here. Hey guys, this is Matt in Wilmington, Delaware. I just wanted to share a bit of feedback that you guys were talking about. Um, what's your face at the garbage uh, disposal place? Uh, I have a theory as to why they talk so funny to quickly determine if somebody's trying to infiltrate their ranks or try to uh, pretend that they're part of the group when they're really not. So if they're all speaking the same, and it's a little bit strange, but they can all understand each other, then maybe they would quickly be able to root out somebody if they're trying to, to sneak in and wear all black or whatever. So anyway, just a theory. Wanted to see what you guys thought about it. All right, have a good one. Bye. All right. Thanks, Matt. So I, that may have been slightly confusing, but what Matt was saying is that the scavengers speak funny 
they've basically created their own way of speaking and, and sort of dressing to be able to identify each other easier and make it harder for someone to infiltrate the group. Because if you show up right. and you don't speak like that, well, you're obviously not part of the group. Or if you're sort of faking it, they can they can pick up on that and again, know you're an outsider or an imposter. So what do you think about that theory? I thought it was a pretty good one. So it's a secret language with uh, basically a structure that is not easily identifiable uh, but if you know the structure, you can determine whether or not somebody uh, is using it properly. Yeah. And what's what's neat about it is relatively easy to learn, I would think. So if they do accept new people into the group, you can get onboarded pretty fast. Um, but if you just show up out of nowhere, you're, you're not going to know what's going on and they'll be able to say, you do not belong. So it's like Pig Latin. Right. I mean, you don't you don't really understand it until you get the and somebody tells you the the thing. Right. And then, uh, and then you can speak Pig Latin fluently. Yeah, exactly. You, you just have to know the trick. Right. Uh, I think it's a, an interesting idea. I'm not sure if uh, if that was the case, wouldn't they keep it a secret and, you know, talk to outsiders normally and then talk uh, to each other in the secret language? Uh, yeah, I suppose. But I mean, if, if they meet someone who doesn't speak like that, they're immediately identified as an outsider. So at that point, it doesn't matter if they, if that person knows they have a secret language or not, because they're, they're either evaluating them to see if they want to let them into the group or right. allow them to become part of their community or, or send them away. And I guess if they send too many people away, it could get around that they speak like this and that would, then you're right, the secret would be out, but... I don't know. I thought it was an interesting idea anyways. I mean, maybe it, it used to work better than it does now. <laughs> yeah, I think it's an interesting idea. I'm not sure. I, they have to explain it somehow. Right. Like, so bring, you know, send in the theories because they're going to have to explain this. And, uh, you know, anybody who gets it right, you get a, a special uh, Jason point. Oh, I think Jason points have come up before on this show. They haven't have, they? have, but I've it's given away Jason points in the past. It has been so I think, a while. I think that way, a single glorious golden Jason point for the uh, listener who gets the theory right. All right. Very good. So uh, keep track of your Jason points, everybody. Yeah. Because I'm not doing it. <laughs> no. It's a, it's, a, it's a do your own kind of thing system. Yeah. Self-service Jason point tracking. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Next up is a call from Jay in Jerusalem. And I think this is the first call we've ever had from Jerusalem. Cool. So here we go. Hi guys, this is Jay from Jerusalem. I've been binge watching for the last year and finally caught up to you, so this is very exciting for me. Um, when Rick and Michonne fell through the roof, they landed on a gym mat. Uh, the room is a gymnasium. If you look around, remember when they first came up to the building? It's not just a carnival, it's a carnival behind a school. Um, and as they walk around along the building, you can see that it's a uh, it's a school setup, and they fell into the gym where they also, because it's a big empty space, I guess, the people before that were using it as a storage area. So that's the scoop on that. There you go. It was a school or a, a gym in a school. Yeah, not like a mattress factory or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good to know. It's nice that that that, uh, that particular gym mat was strategically placed be, uh, below the weakest spot in the roof. Well, I mean, that's just a coincidence. But the point is, we were talking about something soft that they landed on. You saw all the beds in there, which yeah. makes sense. But a gym mat could be used as a bed, too. And if this was a 
some sort of temporary base or even some, or even like a home base for a group at one point. They had all their supplies in there. They had beds in there. They had everything they needed in one room, which is probably good for safety, you know? Yeah. I've slept on gym mats. I mean, not very long. Like we've all fallen asleep in gym class, right? Oh yeah. I fell asleep uh, doing the, doing dodgeball once. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty hard to do. <laughs> it is. Yeah. That's uh, that's quite the uh, quite the thing that happened to you. Narcoleptic. <laughs> that's right. Nodded off there in the middle of you know get a high stress situation and fall asleep. I could fall asleep any minute. Actually, I'm worried uh, I'm not going to get any sleep tonight because of my stupid blood pressure thing. Well, if you're worried about it so much, of course not. But just you know, relaxed, calm blue ocean. Everything's fine. But just the, you know, watch TV until it's like three o'clock in the morning, and you'll pass out, and that'll be the end of that. But then, as soon as it squeezes, it'll wake me up, won't it? I don't know. I've never slept with a you know blood pressure cuff on my arm. Well, we're gonna just, find out. You, you gotta you gotta stop worrying about it. The more you worry about it, the more it's gonna wake you up. Okay. Well, I don't want to get into this too much, but it's it's part of my personality. I can't not worry about it. Right. Okay. And I'm going to tell my doctor that. I sort of already have. So anyways, we're not here to talk about this. I'm just trying to be less angry. All right. Move on, Jason. <laughs> all right. Next, we have an email from Michael in London. Hi, guys. Although, although this week was uh, this... Oh, my God. Hi, guys. Although this was a bit of a silly episode this week, I actually really enjoyed it. Some of the slapstick stuff reminded me of the Introduction of Jesus episode last season, and it was really good fun. Not sure if the nods were deliberate, but I got a bit of the Land of the Dead vibe when the zombie turned up with the machine gun. Uh, the army dress zombies reminded me of the Day of the Dead. Uh, the Dead Rising was referenced as used uh, with using novelty items to stop and kill zombies. And finally, the way they killed zombies reminded me of how Sean and his friends killed the zombies in Shaun of the Dead. Thoroughly enjoyable, good fun, and even stroppy Rosita couldn't ruin this one. So I did look up the word stroppy, and apparently... It is a word used mostly in England, meaning touchy or belligerent. So it applies to Rosita. I've now added that word to my lexicon. Very good. Uh, but I, Michael seems to have picked up on a lot of other zombie movie references in this, which, you know, as he lays them out here, I can completely see, but it wasn't something that I thought of while I was watching this episode. Yeah. It, yeah. I think... I agree that a lot of these uh, these movies, uh, Dead Rising, like I've, that's not a movie, it's a video game, but Dead Rising is, you know, tongue-in-cheek. Uh, Shaun of the Dead, again, uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek, even though the zombies themselves weren't uh, supposed to be comedic. It was just, uh, you know, the situation around the zombies were comedic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all those references are to, are, are to good properties with zombies, but this seems a little more slapsticky, And by, you know, if they wanted to take a single individual step further, they would be doing the uh, uh, the Michael Jackson zombie dance from uh, what was that video? Thriller. Thriller. Yeah. That's it. So you know that's that's not too much farther than what they've done already in this episode. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, the slapstick and the, the and I'm not even trying to call it slapstick. I didn't. I sort of dislike this episode for, for other reasons, but if they had, I mean, the zombies were still serious in this episode. They were still scary. It's just that our characters, Rick and Michonne, didn't react to them in any sort of frightened way. And that's okay by itself. Problem was, was other things. So you're right. Yeah. It would have been absolutely 100% silly if, 
if we'd had anything even close to Michael Jackson's Thriller. But All right, man. that would be it. Would have been a big step. It would you know a single step, but it would have been uh, absolutely huge. That would have been too far. That would have been a, a giant step too far. Oh, way way too far. I mean, we we I, we don't even need to acknowledge that as an option though, because that'll never happen, right? Oh, good lord, no, 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 no. Nobody's going to do so. that. Nobody's that dumb. No, definitely not. Uh, All right, thanks, Michael. Next is Jackie in Croydon, UK. And Jackie writes, well, as a massive fan of the show, I never thought I'd say this, but I hated this week's episode. And in general, I really think it's time for some new writers. I've never been a fan of Rishon, as they have zero chemistry. This week felt so contrived and fake, as if they were playing to the fans, but in such a way that is an insult to our intelligence. All the fake smiles and sweet, sweet lovemaking, as Jason says, and the fake-out Rick getting eaten by walkers, utter shite. I just want them to get back to realism and good storytelling and stop treating us like idiots. (sighs) Yes, Jackie, you're right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's, I don't know what else to say there. It's, it's, it was, it was a tough episode at times, but just remember. The swordplay was good, right? Remember, the swordplay was good. The swordplay was good. So there's there's always a silver lining. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, not always, but in this case, there was. In this case, all right. Yeah. All right, next we have an email from Vicky on the internet. I think they should have shown romance and or more passion between Rick and Michonne. Sex alone doesn't show romance and or passion in a couple. Kissing shows passion. Without that, it kind of makes them as a couple seem sort of empty, only because they threw it uh, at us quickly. No buildup. Uh, the conversation at the end about losing each other was a good conversation, though. Yeah. Do you, do you agree with that? That showing sex doesn't show, uh, well, romance or, or passion, but kissing does? Absolutely. Are you sure there's no passion in sex? Well, there can be passion in sex, but if you're trying to convey a relationship, a passionate relationship between two people, don't just show them, you know, quick snippets of them banging in the back of a van. You know, have a little romance. Uh, well, they, you know, they lit all those candles and were eating the MREs. I mean, that was nice, right? But, you know, they could have been eating an MRE and then just kind of dropped them and started making out on their uh, their uh, crash mat or whatever that thing was that Gym they were mat. sleeping on. Yeah. Um, so... And, you know, I agree with Vicky that uh, passion sh- could be shown in other ways other than just uh, quick snippets of uh, sex shots. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. What I think, though, is that the chemistry between these two is slowly starting to get better. It was not there at all when this relationship started, and it it took a while to get going at all. But I feel like this episode had a little bit more. It was a little bit better. They didn't feel like just buddies, just friends anymore. They did feel like they were in some sort of romantic relationship now, even though not very much of that romance or or passion, I guess, was portrayed in the episode. I feel like just the general chemistry between these two is a little bit better. Maybe the actors, uh, you know, spent some time together to try and build that that chemistry. They went away on a, on a weekend where they just kind of got rid of the whole rest of the world. And all they did was focus on, uh, you know, going out to dinner and watching bands and uh, doing stuff, (laughs) going on long walks on the beach kind of thing. Uh, you know, not actually getting together as a couple, but doing couple things in order to, to, to build that, uh, rapport between them. Well, I, you know, I hear Andrew Lincoln is a bit of a method actor, right? He stays in character as Rick all the time when they're on set. 
He doesn't drop the accent. He, you know, he does all the stuff that Rick does. He behaves like him. And so maybe he suggested that. Maybe he said, listen, I'm going to be Rick all the time and we're just going to go out and do stuff. Like you said, walk on the beach, go for candlelight uh, dinners, things like that. None of the actual things that, you know, none of the sex or anything, but... Yeah, well, you know, the, you, you can only take uh, acting so far, right? Andrew Lincoln well, is mean, a married man. Right. In, in real life, you yeah. know, maybe his, You know, maybe his wife was at the resort as well, just, you know, to keep an eye on him, because maybe he's a lecherous bastard in real life. I don't know. I'm just uh, guessing. I'm going to say probably not, but yeah, you're right. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe uh, Denai Guerrera and Andrew Lincoln don't like each other. Maybe they've kept that a secret for seven years, that they don't actually like each other, or, you know, Michonne's not been there in the show for seven years, but four, five years, they don't actually like each other, and they had to work that out. Yeah, it could be. Because that kind of shit happens. I mean... Movies and TV all the time. Yeah, I suppose. Everything, you know, they wouldn't admit to that for sure, but... Not till the show's over. Oh, yeah. Maybe when the memoir comes out, the tell-all memoir at the end of this thing. Yeah. Anyways, I think their chemistry is getting a little bit better, uh, but you're right. Maybe the show could do a better job of... uh, of portraying the relationship a little bit. I, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. Uh, the other thing they could do is kind of not focus on the relationship too much. Just show them living together. They wake up in the morning in the same bed, but the relationship isn't really a focus like it sort of was in this episode. You know, it was a big point to say these two are out on the road together and yeah, they're doing their thing, but they're also having sex every night in the back of a van. Right. Right. So I don't know. I mean, there's different ways to portray this thing on screen. We'll have to see uh, where they go. All right. Next up is Jose in Glendale, California. I am finding it increasingly difficult to watch The Walking Dead. I have been on the fence since seeing Glenn's brutal beating. But now in the second half of this season it is nothing but a whole lot of random problems. From crappy green screens with UFOs crappy-looking deer that look even worse than CG in 80s movies, situations like magically stumbling on a base of some sort that for some reason no one has found in all these years, and Rick pulling a Glenn dumpster situation, which is worse than Glenn's situation because we clearly saw Rick being surrounded without ammo, then magically teleporting into that box that was pretty far away. Maybe The Walking Dead has turned into a video game and Rick died there and respawned inside the box. Oh, it's a spawn point. Yeah, I guess I just need to suspend my disbelief and leave my brain at the door while watching The Walking Dead. Done. Rick dies in every episode from now on and he respawns at some point. They killed Rick. Yeah, so that's that's uh, that's how I'm going to watch the show from now on is I'm going to find a spot in the episode where I assume Rick dies and then respawns. Like, you know, as if he's walking around, it's like, oh, he died there. And no, look, you respond. Right there, right in the same spot. (laughs) The UFO that Jose was referring to is when we were, do you know? Do you know what he's talking about there? I don't recall UFO. I think I would have remembered a UFO. Yeah, I think what he's referring to is when we first met the scavengers and uh, Rick was up on the hill before she pushed him into into the pit with the uh, armored zombie. That you get those wide shots of the junkyard, and there's a shot where it looks like there's a plane flying through the background, and a lot of people think, "Oh my God, that's a huge mistake. How could they, you know, leave that plane in?" It's actually a bird, but the perspective is a bit oh, funny. Yeah. yeah, and so it it's not an aircraft, it's not a UFO, it's a bird, or it was supposed to be a bird, but the perspective was a little bit weird, and so it was hard to tell. So 
no UFOs, but yes, crappy green screen, crappy deer, and, uh, you know, some of these death fake outs are cropping up a little more often, I think, in the show than they used to, and it's affecting viewers like Jose. Right. I mean, the, the Garbage Pail Kids did have a helipad, so maybe that's where the UFO is supposed to land. You know, I never went back and looked for that helipad that you mentioned. You're not just making that up, are you? Cause I'm not making it up. Yeah. I actually saw it. That... I paused and saw it. I could, uh, I could pull that up. All right. It just sounds I'll so... I'll send it to you. I'll take a screen cap and send it to you. Well, I got the episode, but it just sounds so out of left field for them to have a helicopter landing pad in that junkyard. I don't know. Jadis is pretty alien-like. Maybe this all kind of fits together to some kind of alien subplot. Yeah. Well, I hope not. But she is kind. Of, she is unusual. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. We have an email from Jens in south of Sweden. Just a quick remark: Who in their right frame of mind gives a bracelet to a toddler? Yeah, a bracelet with little tiny shells on it to a toddler who probably still might think about putting that in her mouth. It lo- yeah, it probably would look very yummy to a toddler. It would. My kids are old enough for bracelets. They have many of their own. They wear them sometimes, but they don't eat everything that goes in their hands. Your son, give him that everything. bracelet, everything in his mouth. It doesn't even have to go into his hands. It's just if he can reach it with his hands, feet, or mouth, he tries to put it inside his face. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty common thing for babies to do. But it is. I don't think Judith, like Judith might have been right on the cusp there, right? Of not putting stuff in her mouth anymore. But still, maybe. You never know. Maybe her and Tara were just playing dress up. And, uh, you know, it's okay to give kids something as long as they're being actively supervised. Right? So maybe it was just that they were playing dress up and uh, she said, you can wear that while I'm sitting here kind of thing. But as soon as she stood up, she would take the bracelet with her. Yeah. No, I hope so. I hope so. If you're playing with a kid, I mean, that's that's different. Tara was mostly monologuing to the kid. But, I mean, that could be the same thing. Yeah. I mean, Jasper has, uh, I think it's funny because Jasper has some shirts with like pockets in them because I think that's funny because why, why would it, why would a <laughs> six month old baby need pockets for his stuff? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, that's where he can put his stuff. Where he puts his change. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm going to give him a dime. There's yeah. a dime, Jasper. Have fun with that. Don't put Good it Lord. in your mouth. Put it in your pocket. <laughs> Right. Save it for later. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Good times. All right. Uh, Chris in the UK writes, was Rick's decision to go after the deer stupid? Absolutely. Was it out of character for Rick? Not so sure. For me, a large part of this episode was that Rick has regained his confidence and arrogance. That's great because that's the Rick we want to see. But let's not pretend arrogant and confident Rick has a history of making great decisions. Truth is that if Rick gets too comfortable, he starts to believe he's invincible. He gets cocky and he makes stupid choices. You could argue that his deal with Gregory last season was part of that. They rushed headlong into the attack on the Saviors because they thought they could handle anything. What do you think about that? Is it, I don't think, I don't know if I agree with this. You know, it's, it's one thing to, to make decisions based on arrogance and confidence that aren't the right decisions, but you can still make um, fairly intelligent decisions that are a little bit arrogant. Nothing yeah. about nothing about climbing that Ferris wheel was intelligent, in my opinion. It was just him self-serving, kind of, and trying to do something for Michonne at absolutely the worst moment. Never underestimate the uh, the human need to try and impress their girlfriend. 
You yeah. know, people have done stupid things. I can list like at least 15 or 20 absolutely dumb, life-threatening things that I've done to try to impress a girl. Yep. Uh, climbing a Ferris wheel is, you know, right in my wheelhouse for uh, trying to impress someone. <laughs> uh, I've never actually done it, but I totally would have if I was trying to in- impress a girl. Totally the kind of thing that you would do. I've, I've been in cars that have literally driven off a cliff because we wanted to, it was a Jeep and we were driving, we drove off a cliff down a sand embankment where we could have easily rolled and killed everybody to impress a girl. I'm surprised you're driving. I'm surprised you're still alive. I'm sur- oh my God. Me too. Whoa. I've literally, this is, I think I may have mentioned this before, but I have been on the roof of a car driving at 100 kilometers per hour, hanging onto seatbelts out the window, standing. Like I was standing on the roof of the car and they got that thing up to a hundred kilometers an hour. That's like six, at night. 60 miles an hour. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm. I should not have survived that experience. I'm glad you did, but yeah, you, you should be dead now. Yeah. I, I totally dropped my change purse and had to go hunting for it. <laughs> I think we've talked about your change purse before too. <laughs> yeah. So, and you cannot do that. That was the, probably the single most dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. And it was entirely to impress a girl. Oddly enough, I was trying to impress the same girl that I was trying to impress by being in the car that drove off the cliff. That happened within like the same two week period. <laughs> well, I hope you got the girl in the end. Yeah, it worked. All right, good. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, so don't underestimate trying to impress someone you're interested in by doing stupid things. Absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, he's he's hell-bent on I owe you a deer, so he's going to drop everything and risk his life uh, in order to achieve that, hey, I got you a deer, even though it's a CGI deer that totally wouldn't be in that situation because it's just like lots of noise and stuff. And there's probably grass somewhere not inside this fenced off area for a deer to eat. But don't you think after a while you'd learn to to not do things like that? Don't you think Rick should be smarter than that by now? You You would think. Yeah, I would. And and I well, feel like it's it's it bothers me that that he wasn't smart right, enough. How old is Rick? Oh, let's 35, say 35, 40? Yeah, 35, exactly, late 30s. Okay. Maybe so, early 40s by now. I don't know. Okay. Whatever. I can I can tell you that through my life experience, uh me being in my mid 40s now, I definitely would not stand on the roof of a car as it was driving at any speed. So I've learned that lesson. Right. Even though I didn't hurt myself, I learned that lesson. You'd think Rick would learn the lesson of don't climb a Ferris wheel that's been uh, rotting there in the elements for four years, uh, trying to get a deer to impress your girlfriend. Yeah. You've grown up and you learned how to not do stupid things. He's not that much younger than you, and he needs to learn those things too. And he lives in the zombie apocalypse is what I'm saying, right? right? No doctors. Right. Well, if he hurts himself, there's, uh, you know, there's very well, there's doctors, but there's not, there's no emergency rooms where they can take you and reset bones and, uh, you know, amputate your leg if you've, uh, you know, really, really screwed it up. Yeah, it's, I guess you could just chop it off. I mean, this universe is weird. It is. I mean, I feel like we're dwelling on this a little bit, but all that it comes down to is, not only should he know better, uh, not only should, um. But sorry, not only should he know better, but also he's staring monsters, zombies in the face 
and he decides to just turn around, walk away, and uh, and do this instead of at least taking them out and then doing this. That's all. That's all it is. So I don't know what else to to tell you there. It 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 bugs me that he that he did it at all. Oh, absolutely, it was a dumb thing to do. I think he recognizes now it was a dumb thing to do because you know. Uh, he, he did fall. He did hurt himself. He did almost die. Luckily there was a deer there for some reason that the zombies could eat. And, uh, he knew how to teleport into a box, uh, to surprise his girlfriend. Surprise, I'm still alive. You know, he did impress her. Well, I guess. They got a big hug and he got to grab her ass at the end of it. Yeah. I guess if he knew all of these things, then what, what the hell? Why not go for it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Where are we? Deanne in Mississippi? That's right. Okay, we have an email from Deanne in Mississippi. <laughs> this episode was very close to jumping the shark for me, which makes me sad. I haven't cared much for season seven, period, but this episode was the worst so far. Rick made dumb decisions, not the least of which was wanting to stay out longer on the run while his two children were back in Alexandria. You guys are dads. You wouldn't do that. No, I, I don't think so. Uh, but to be fair, Carl is a pretty capable young man at this point. So he can kind of take care of himself, but I'm not sure that's what Deanne is saying. Uh, yeah. you know, just, you want to be back with your family, with your children. Um, Absolutely. but as you just finished saying, never underestimate what someone will do to impress a girl, or in this case, continue the scavenger hunt with, yeah. with your girlfriend. So I feel bad about spending too much time at the grocery store. It's like, man, I've been here too long. I want to go home to my family. Yeah, yeah, sometimes I feel that way too. It's like, I just want to <laughs> get home because I don't like leaving the house. <laughs> yeah, leaving the house is dumb. If you can manage not to do it, I'm for that. There you go. All right, Steve in Seattle writes, Father Gabe, please just die. Nobody likes you. I don't care how hard the writers try to redeem him. He'll always be the slime ball that shut the doors on his congregation and got them killed. He'll always be the idiot that left the gate open and almost got Rick killed by a walker. He'll always be the idiot who tried to commit suicide by walker until he saw how scary the walker was and changed his mind. Seriously, just kill him off. Yeah. He's got his flaws, but that's pretty harsh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's going to die by the end of this season. Me too. I mean, they're working pretty hard to redeem him right now, and... Like in, in universe, the, the characters, Rick mostly have forgiven him. It seems like for all his past issues, but, uh, as viewers, I'm not sure we have, I'm not sure I have entirely, although I do feel a little bit better about him in the last couple of episodes, but you know, when Steve reminds me of all these things that he did, I'd completely forgotten about that whole leaving the gate open thing and letting walkers in. That's pretty irresponsible in this world. And, uh, he's the worst, you know, he's kind of the worst, (laughs) you know, even though he's, even though he's been a little bit better lately, I don't know. We'll have to see, but you're right. I bet you he's dead in the next four episodes. So here's the, uh, here's the, the $50 question is, uh, will he be wearing his Roman collar when he dies? Uh, yes, I think he will. You think he will? What what if he has to kill somebody uh, and then dies? Here, here's the thing we had, when we were talking about that, we did have a bunch of listeners write in and let us know that he did in fact kill someone in cold blood while wearing that collar. Oh, good. Okay. When they did the raid, uh, I think it was during the raid on the Savior's outpost. Yep. Uh, he had a guy on the ground 
and he just shot him on the ground, straight, point blank, pretty much. So, and he was wearing the collar in that scene. So it wasn't that that had him change out of the, okay. the priest uniform at, at the junkyard. Um, so see what happens when you make assumptions based on a single data point? Yeah, that's right. They're always wrong. Yeah. Well, not always, <laughs> but, you know, generally it's just a bad idea. Yeah, often. Um, so, but you're right. I don't know. Who knows if he'll be wearing it when he dies, but I think the point is... Father Gabe, probably not going to survive. But then I sort of thought he's been on his last legs for a long time, but he's gotten this far, so you never know. You never know. Yep. All right. Uh, next, we have an email from uh, Gayatri. 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 Or, roll the R. I can't roll my R's. Gayatri. 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 <laughs> in anyway, Japan. Yeah. He, he, yeah. They, he sent in a pronunciation uh, guide for his name, and that's the best I could do. So I hope it was okay. Yeah. No, I screwed it up ho- horribly, even though there's a big old pronunciation guide right there. Yep. I can't roll my R's. Never been able to. Uh, oddly enough, my son can roll his R's fantastically. I don't well, know why. Maybe, he's really good at it. Maybe he'll learn a lot of languages when he's older. Maybe. He's got to learn one first. <laughs> yeah, one at a time. <laughs> one at a time. For now. All right. Uh, Gayatri writes... One of my HC moments, and there were many in this episode, was the look in Rick's eyes when Jadis mentioned getting the cat back. You can actually feel him saying to himself, "You crossed the line." When the look in his eye, uh, then the look in his eyes after uh, the bargain, he turns away towards us. That split second when his eyes widened and then settled back. I might be wrong, but I thought the look with him was a mixture of Andrew Lincoln trying not to laugh and Rick unable to believe he pulled this one off. So even Andrew Lincoln finds the way Jada speaks funny, uh, you yeah. know, but if he stays in character the whole time, that would be, that'd be weird if suddenly he was Andrew Lincoln again, partially anyways. He's, he's got a break. I mean, he can't, he can't be perfect. Nobody's perfect, right? He's got to, he's got to break at some time. At some point during, you know, delivering a line, he's got to start laughing or swear because he screwed up a line and he. Uh, goes into a string of uh, swears in his native a- accent. I'm sure he breaks. I, I, I'm sure he does, because I'm sure he flubs lines, but I don't think he ever actually loses the accent when he's on set. That's that's what I've heard. I don't know. It may not be 100% true, but from what I know, that's what he does. All right. Do we, are there blooper reels? There's got to be blooper reels on the Blu-rays, yeah? That's a good question. I You know, I haven't bought one of the Blu-ray sets since season two or three, probably three. Uh, so I don't know. And I don't remember. I'll look up bloopers. They, you know, bloopers invariably end up on YouTube. So I'll look it up. All right. Walking Dead bloopers. We'll have to see. Okay. Uh, another email here from Chris in the UK. And this actually is the same Chris as from earlier on, but I, he wrote a long email and I want to address this point as well. So Chris writes once again, listening to you guys made me realize something about this half of the season. People complained a lot about the first half of the season because it wasn't what the fans wanted to see, but I think that the problems some people are having with the second half is a symptom of the exact opposite problem. I think they're trying to do something for everyone episodes, and that means including moments to please the fans rather than to serve the story. They haven't quite reached the point where they are hamming or harming the story in the process, so I guess we can forgive it, but I think we may be seeing that Whilst it is clearly a bad idea to ignore what the fans want, trying to please them doesn't necessarily work either. So what Chris is saying is that we're, 
you know, they were doing something that that displeased all the fans so much because they were really just trying to tell their own story. And now they've kind of gone the other way and they're trying to please the fans too much, which is also bad. And because, of course, you're never going to please everyone. Some people want all zombie horror all the time. Some people like the comedy. Some people like the romance, the relationships. Um, and that's that. So it's it's an overcorrection in a way, right? And overcorrection yeah. never really works very well. Yeah. And yeah, the easiest way to screw up is to try and please everybody. So I... I... <laughs> You end up pleasing oh, they nobody. Think they, have, uh, they think they have a big Venn diagram of the, the types of feedback that they got, and they're they're taking episodes and say, okay, this episode's going to take care of this uh, this particular group of people, and then there's you know there's an overlap with this kind of group of people, and they're uh, you think they think they're doing it that way. You know, I think they probably do a lot of things. I think they may have tried a lot of different things, but there's no way that they can completely ignore fan reaction they had to address it with the cliffhanger at the end of season six then they had to address it again with the violence in the premiere of season seven so there's no way they can ignore it how they actually deal with it sort of in the writer's room day to day who knows but there's got to be something there's got to be something up there that even if it's just a sort of a vague feeling that everybody shares, you know, it's like there's this kind of thing that people didn't really like. So we're going to tone that down a bit, not just violence, but the way they tell stories, the relationships, everything. I'm sure, I'm sure somebody's thinking about it. Yeah. I think you should write episode, write, uh, write a whole series of uh, television based on Venn diagrams. Cause that just makes sense to me. Yeah. Right? Just keep track of everything. Venn diagrams can, uh, should be able to ultimately, eventually produce the perfect TV show. I would assume so. Right? If you know exactly yeah. what people want, then you can come away with something that's going to please everyone. Venn diagrams and pie charts. Um, Solved all the problems of the world. Maybe the odd bar graph? Yeah, a nice bar graph is uh, is okay, but pie charts are better. Pie charts are more appealing to the eye. You're right. Yeah. All right. What are we doing now? We're going to move on into feedback about hostiles and calamities. So all that was mostly about say yes. We're going back in time now and uh, talking about the episode from before because we missed that episode. So all right, you ready? I am ready. So first we have a call from Anwen in New Zealand. Listen, you idiots. You guys were wondering uh, why Dwight might have framed the doctor. And I just had a thought. I wonder if he is playing the long game from the inside and he actually wants to sabotage Negan's people and he knows that taking out a doctor could help with that. Anyway, that's just a thought. Hope you have a wonderful time in London, Chris. And of course, when I call you idiots, I mean it in the most wonderful way. First of all, I like <laughs> how her accent changed at the end there. That was very cool. That's because she was doing Carol. Yeah, I know, I know. You know? But Anwen does a pretty good American accent, I think. Yeah, that was awesome. It was good. Uh, how about Dwight playing the long game and sabotaging the saviors by taking out, by framing their doctor, knowing that Negan will kill him? Smart. That, that could be right. Risky. I mean, come on. What if the what if the plan backfires? Uh, Dwight's going to be the one in the furnace. Ah, uh, Dwight has a plan. He, you know, he he has an out. Yeah, I don't know, if man. If he's planning all this kind of stuff in the long game, he knows how to. He has an escape route planned. So you're saying that even if he was discovered, he'd be able to get away before Negan could exact his punishment. 
That's right. Yeah, if he if he, if he notices something where he's uh, he feels like he's actually in danger, he's going to pull the trigger on his uh, in his bug out, and he's going to grab his bug out bag, and he's going to get on his bug out motorcycle and bug the fuck out. <laughs> okay, as long as he's got a bug out plan. <laughs> That's right. All right. Um, I still think it's risky to do something like that in the environment that Negan has created, and you know if if Dwight's going to hang around there. Why the doctor? Like, if he's, he might need the doctor too. Frame Fat Joey or somebody else. I just don't think it's, it's just Joey. Sorry. Yeah. I, it's right. It's just Joey now. <laughs> I, I just don't think he's really thought through this plan if that's what it was, but it could be it. Could be it. I don't know. He, he I don't know. Maybe uh, he doesn't feel like he needs a doctor. Maybe uh, the fact is that, uh, you know, there's a risk of him needing a doctor. But it's uh, it's worth the risk to take Negan down playing this long game. And I guess if the idea is to take Negan down, then there might not be a Negan group for very long. And therefore, you won't need a doctor because you'll be either on your own or part of another group that maybe does have a doctor. Maybe. Or maybe he knows about a doctor that nobody else knows about. Maybe he's a doctor. I don't think Dwight's a doctor, but there is Dr. Carson who's over at the hilltop, the other Dr. Carson. Yeah. Maybe, so. Well, maybe he knows about another doctor that nobody else knows about. Secret, secret doctors. Like Dr. Denise that he killed. Maybe he just likes to kill doctors. He he may have a thing for killing doctors because that's the second one now, isn't it? That's the second one. He I don't know if he knew, he was aiming for Daryl, so I don't know if he knew that he was killing Dr. Denise, but uh, he sure did it. Maybe he's like, hey, that felt really good. I'm going to make sure I kill every doctor I've ever seen. That's right. When he killed one doctor, he decided to just make it a habit. It's It's the same reason that started me collecting bottles of Jameson whiskey. Which is you collect bottles of Jameson whiskey, which is a thing I do. Yeah, I went to the distillery, the Jameson Distillery in Dublin, Ireland, and I bought a bottle of their distillery exclusive Jameson. You can only buy it there, right? And then I'm like, well, now I have this one, which is probably relatively rare because you can only buy it here, even though I'm sure they sell tons of it. Then I'm like, well, I want to have them all now because, as I've said before, I'm a little bit of a completionist. So I've got many different ones now, and my collection is coming along. So I didn't know that about you, that you collected those. I do. I'm a completionist. Yeah. Like, I'm a a crazy, stupid completionist. I know. And I collect uh, Lego, uh, collectible Lego minifigures, and I have them all. There you go. Just stupid. Yeah. I, uh, when I flew home from London, I went over my booze limit uh, coming back into Canada, my exemption limit, because I wanted two different varieties that were available in the duty-free. So what do they do? They just charge you money or do they take your booze away and laugh at you? They, no, they, they charge you money if they feel like it. Uh, long story short, I decided to come into Canada, be completely honest and say, yes, I'm over my limit. I'd like to declare this bottle. And um, I expected to have to pay a duty fee. But I think because I wasn't like way over and I have a feeling that the paperwork involved is somewhat laborious. The guy said, how big is it? I said, one liter. He said, go ahead. So Yeah, and you flashed him a boob, I assume. Well, you know, a little nipple never hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, Next up is Gretchen in Westchester, Pennsylvania. And she writes, you should never take your eggs out of the store containers when you put them in the fridge. During non-apocalypse times, you need to be able to check the date stamped on the carton to see how old they are. It takes a very long time for eggs to go bad, even though the sell-by date on the carton does not reflect that. Often recipes call for fresh eggs, which can alter how your food comes out, like when making poached eggs, for example. So this is about the eggs in Dwight's fridge, 
and they yeah, were- no, I, no, I got that. I'm just right. I'm thinking about eggs in general now, not about the uh, the episode. I'm I'm fairly sure that some of the eggs that I've purchased have the due date printed on the egg. The due date. <laughs> That's funny. Um, the sell by date. Yeah, or whatever. You think so? Best before date. Actually yes. printed on the egg themselves? Yeah, some of the, uh, you know, you buy them, they're in the, not the ones you buy in the uh, the paper carton, but the ones you buy in the plastic carton yeah. that are like omega-3 bullshit eggs. Right. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that they have those, the, the the best before date or the sell-by date or whatever the hell that date is, which is not actually the date that it goes bad. It's just the date that uh, they should pull it off the shelves. It is best before printed, that date. Well, not necessarily. Printed on the uh, printed on the egg itself. Um, I think you might be right. I can, I can, I have this vague feeling in my mind that I've seen eggs with printing on them. So you could be right. Maybe that's a Canadian thing. Maybe. Us being Canadian and all. No, the, the best before date is just a, uh, is a taste thing. It's not a safety thing. That's what I mean. It's entirely up to the, uh, the manufacturer of the food product to pick how long it should be on the, uh, on the shelf. It has nothing to do with, uh, when that, what product goes bad. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, that's what I mean by best before this date. They're trying to tell you that it's best if you eat it or consume it before this date. After that, it'll still probably be fine. It just might not be best. Yeah. You know, check your food before you eat it. Like even if you open up a package of chicken and uh, it's before the best before date and it really, really stinks bad, we throw it away. Because, you know, when you open up chicken, it's just like, oh, that does not smell right at all. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've I've encountered that before. You got to, you should make the call based on your own senses when possible. Yeah. Right? Or in my case, just listen to your wife. Or that. I, my sense of smell is horrible, and uh, left to my own devices, I get food poisoning at least once a year. Okay, well, I'm glad you found a woman <laughs> who could sort that out for you. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. <laughs> uh, okay, next we have Pete in Sydney, Australia. Did you notice the lollipops in the doctor's office? Uh, even in the zombie apocalypse where the medicine and medical supplies are scarce, the doctor has made sure he's got some lollies to offer up to his patients. I can just imagine Negan asking the doctor to provide a list of things to scavenge, and he adds to it, get me a pile of lollipops. <laughs> I love how Dwight grabs one. Uh, no one is too big to get a lollipop from the doctor. Then he chucks it in his pile of lollipops in his room, showing just how many visits to the doctor Dwight has had. This show continues to commu- communicate so much backstory in a little in the little background details. Uh, so Dwight needs the doctor, and now he just eliminated him. Maybe he just wanted the lollipops. If I kill the doctor, I get the entire supply of lollies. Hmm. It's a good theory. <laughs> but he's not eating them. Maybe he's just collecting them. I don't maybe like you collect Lego minifigs and I collect bottles of whiskey. It's strange. But hey, mm. everyone has their thing, so why not, right? Yeah. But yeah, I, I do find it interesting. I do remember him uh, grabbing the uh the lollipop from, from the doctor's office. He didn't take that out on the road with him, did he, when he went looking for Sherry? Like maybe he was taking the lollipops for her. I don't know. Yeah, to be honest, I don't remember either, but I do remember him taking it and there were more of them in his room. So maybe it was Sherry. Maybe he just collected them for her because she didn't need to go to the doctor very often, but he's always out getting beat up and falling off motorcycles and getting in fights and getting his crotch bit. You know, he needs his to go face to face burned and that's right. He needs to go to the doctor a lot. So he collects the lollipops for her. Maybe. Maybe. Where's he going to get his lollies now? Well, now maybe? he either has all of them or you're right. Now he's... 
I don't know. He's screwed. maybe he's been uh, stockpiling them, knowing that he's going to get rid of that doctor eventually because yep. he's a some bitch that uh, somehow wronged him and whore and whore and whore, <laughs> not and whore and whore his wife. <laughs> oh yeah, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, maybe he's resentful. Maybe the doctor did something, uh, talked Negan into uh, sparing Dwight and taking his wife for his own. Well, he is now the lollipop king, so he probably just wanted to have that title. Yeah, and also that's true. He controls. You know, maybe, uh, maybe the point system in uh, in this area is entirely based on a uh, a lollipop backing. You know, much like the uh, the U.S. currency currencies used to be based on gold. Maybe uh, their currency is based on lollipops. Yeah, well, they're good for bribing, especially children. Yeah, could be something. Anyways, talked about lollipops for too long. Laura. In New Jersey writes, uh, you guys were discussing why the Easy Street cassette was in the stereo in Eugene's room, and I wanted to give my theory. This is the same room we see Negan offer Daryl. It's very simple, Jason. It's the same oh, damn room. It is the same room, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's very, very simple. So, And it was there as a fuck you to Daryl. It was, it was, I think, well, Laura sent a bunch of screenshots first showing identical items in identical locations in the room. So it's definitely the same room. It is, yeah. And when I think about it, it's what they were trying to communicate is just that, well, they were trying to tell us that this is the same room, but also maybe, uh, yeah, remind, well, I don't know if they'd be reminding um, Eugene because he wouldn't have known that, but just to tell the audience at the very least that this is the same room and what could happen to Daryl could happen to Eugene. Or it could be, uh, yes, that could be one thing, uh, but also a, you know, uh, if this was intended to, uh, for Daryl, this room was intended for Daryl, they might've put that in there as a reminder of you're out of prison, but you're still kind of in prison. And we still have this cassette, so just a reminder of you got to be watchful of your surroundings. Yeah, keep yeah, don't uh, don't get too comfortable. Yeah, absolutely right. So now I'm gonna buy a ghetto blaster, much like that one, and I'm gonna get an Easy Street cassette, and I'm gonna put it in uh, in in a room upstairs in our spare bedroom for people to listen to when they when they stay the night. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? Put this on over and over again. Yeah. You'll uh you'll never leave. I wonder if you can get it on a single. Why not? I just mean, let it run. It basically is a single, so yeah. do it. All right, next we have uh, Anthony in Cornwall, UK. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Negan acknowledges that the walkers rot. They decay, hence asking Eugene to come up with a plan to preserve them. Ironic with Eugene carrying a jar of preserved pickles. Huh. Uh, now, most of us know that this know this and have seen it in, in the ever more macabre walker makeup as time passes and the gradually decaying symbolism of The Walking Dead title card with each passing season. But this is the first character that outwardly acknowledges it in the storyline. What implications are there for a storyline that has more walkers die, i.e. disintegrate and rot? Okay, first of all, is this really the first time that a character on the show has acknowledged the fact that the walkers slowly deteriorate? I don't recall another instance of that. Yeah, but... I recall us talking about it. Absolutely. We've talked about it. I can't say for sure if it's ever come up on the show, but I feel like it must have by now. How could they... 
they not realize that the zombies will slowly deteriorate because they are essentially corpses and corpses rot and get weaker and weaker. We've, we've seen it on the show, uh, like Anthony says, and I just feel like they must know this, but maybe it's never been explicitly stated. Yeah. Maybe it's just never come up. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess so, but that seems weird to me. I mean, I feel like that would be the kind of thing that would almost influence decision make the decision making process in this you know if they're if they look at a bunch of walkers like let's take the um the rick and michonne situation in the most recent episode they see all those zombies in the carnival they have to decide whether they're gonna they're going to take them out they obviously decide that they can do it but that decision could partly be made on the relative freshness of those zombies if they think they've been there for a long time which in fact i think they even said in the episode this happened a long time ago then those walkers might be easier to kill because they might be slower because they will be have been have been more rotted and deteriorated than if they had just become zombies in the last like week or two yep so it's it's an important point in the show and i feel like it must have come up by now but maybe it hasn't maybe anthony's right i don't know and negan is the first guy to really express this which is interesting because it's Negan and he's the one who's trying to kind of deal with it to use the zombies in a way for some sort of protection. He's trying to reverse it. He's trying to, you know, they rot and I don't want that. Whereas everybody else, everybody else is like, oh, they're rotting good. Yeah, it helps to get rid of them quicker. Well, maybe not quicker, but it helps to get rid of them over time. And Negan's like, but I need those guys. I need to attach them to my fence so nobody can just walk up to it interesting i don't know maybe it'll maybe it'll come up more now but i feel like it must have come up on the show before now i just can't think of a specific time i don't recall it coming up before yeah interesting anyways thanks anthony for pointing that out next up is chemo in sweden chemo writes i hope they actually let eugene be loyal to negan for a while it has always bothered me that his many skills have not been utilized in our group. I could really see him being sincerely on with the saviors just out of the fact that there he is, there he is not seen as ballast, but as an asset. It would be really cool if the showrunners used the fact that he uh, has not been utilized, but instead been left feeling and treated like dead weight. But I suspect they are just going to chicken out and have him play the long game, having him always been loyal to the Alexandrians. It's a pity, though. It would be so cool with evil Eugene of the Saviors. Oh my god, he could grow a goatee. Yeah, because everyone with a goatee is evil. No, but that's the opposite. You know, they have, uh, you know, you don't watch Star Trek, do you? Well, I think we talked about this just a few days ago. I you do you not. know who evil Spock is? Is Spock with a goatee? It. Are you just guessing? Well, uh, yes, but I'm pretty sure it's Spock with a goatee, isn't it? (laughs) Okay, there's a transporter incident in the original Star Trek where uh, there's an alternate universe and uh, a couple of characters get swapped over. Uh, Spock from this alternate universe comes into our universe. He has a goatee, but he's evil Spock, right? He's exactly the same as Spock, but only evil. Right, but he has the goatee to be identifiable on screen. Well, yeah, it's just, it's a symbol of uh, his evilness, right? They've had crossover, other crossover uh, episodes where they cross over to this universe in like Next Generation and DS, Next Generation? No, it was definitely DS9 that crossed over. Anyway, I'm thinking if they're going to have an evil Eugene, evil Eugene's got to have a goatee. Just, it doesn't mean that everybody with a goatee is evil, but if you're going to go from 
good to bad, you grow a good goatee. I mean, on TV, everybody with a goatee is evil. I don't know about that. I bet you it is. Anyways, it's it's a demarcation point, so we can tell yeah. them apart. <laughs> evil Eugene, I think, would be awesome. Yeah. And I now want to see that as a spinoff series. Well, I don't know if that's true, but I do think it would be extremely interesting if Eugene actually does, like Kimo says, become loyal to Negan and become Negan, become one of his loyal subjects, you know? I think that would be cool, rather than what we all assume is going to happen, and that's that Eugene is somehow uh, being the inside man, and he's just playing along to either get information or somehow sabotage uh, Negan's crew. You know, that's that's kind of what you expect, and in a way is not as interesting. I think it would be more interesting to see him actually become Negan and fight against Rick and everybody in Alexandria. Right. And then, I mean, that sets up a pretty amazing conflict between Rick and Eugene if, you know, if uh, it comes to a point where eventually, depending on which side wins or loses, you know, what does Eugene do then? Oh, man. Can you imagine if Eugene inherits Lucille? Oh, see? Him walking around (laughs) with the mullet and the goatee and Lucille on his shoulder? That would be... I mean, somebody needs to, to... draw that somebody needs to do some fan art of eugene as negan please somebody do that i know you're out there yeah i would send scott gimple a dollar i would do that every for every episode where that uh, where he carries lucille and is evil i would send him individually personally a dollar did you hear that everyone jason is willing to pay for evil eugene i'll pay hard cold hard cash money per episode for every episode that he carries uh, Lucille. A big, solid Canadian loony. That's that's right. There you go. I can mail it in a very small envelope. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. Next we have uh, Shenandoah in West Virginia. Shenandoah writes, uh, Eugene isn't on Team Negan for a few reasons, and I think his past proves it. So here's the other side to this idea. Yeah. Number one, Rick's team saved him and protected him even after they found out that he lied. Eugene knows Negan would kill him immediately. Number two, Eugene has shown an attempt at being brave when necessary, rescuing Tara in the episode uh, where Noah died, biting Dwight's crotch, and holding on despite the fight around him. He even went uh, went out to fight the dead after the wolves attacked. I think this is evidence that Eugene has worked up bravery in the past, and he's basically undercover. He's our guy. So, yeah, I mean, this is what I expect is going to happen, that Eugene is just undercover and he's not really on board with Negan. Um, And there's some evidence clearly to support that as well. I mean, I don't know if biting Dwight's crotch is really good evidence, but if you're going to bite... That's right on the the fence there. It's kind of brave, but, you know, Uh, he bit his crotch and you you shouldn't just bite people's crotches in anger. Uh, no, I think if you're going to bite a guy in the dick, that shows a certain amount of bravery. It does. So, (laughs) so maybe, maybe it, maybe it's totally valid. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Next up, Trucker Tom on the road, who is on the road, I guess. Trucker Tom writes, the scavengers made it clear that they take what they want. They don't go to serious effort or risk either. The leader acknowledged that finding stuff is getting harder and things are changing. However, that doesn't mean they will so easily 
radically change who they are. I think they demanded lots of guns for a reason logical to them, not in order to co cooperate, fight, risk losses for a share in the loot. Either they will take the guns, say thanks, then walk away and use their new power to take their, quote, take what they want game to a uh, robbing at gunpoint level, or if they actually go through with the full deal, end up using the guns to take all the loot from the saviors. Jadis switched from no to fully on board too fast for me, uh, uh, too fast for there not to be some kind of double cross. Yeah. So this hadn't really occurred to me before, but do you think, Jason, we're already seeing a little bit of this double cross and the fact that as soon as they brought guns to Jadis, the first thing she did is say, uh, we want more guns? Exactly. Yeah, it was that whole thing of, uh, you know, if they had asked, uh, how many guns do you want? The answer was obviously twice as many uh, as however many you bring us the first time. Yes, you could bring us all the guns and we'd still want <laughs> twice as many. Yeah. Well, so, absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, Trucker Tom, I think you're probably right that there's going to be some kind of double cross because I do not trust these garbage people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny. Out of the gate, I sort of did trust them, which is odd because they're so weird and we have no reason to trust them. But they made a deal. And I guess I'm the type of person who thinks when you make a deal, you stick to what, stick to your word. But, that never works out on TV. So I have no reason really to trust them. And when they, when Rick brought guns, the first thing they did is change the deal. And that's a telltale sign of someone who doesn't really want to live up to their end of a bargain. Yep. You know, it's what Negan does. He's taking half, but then all of a sudden he shows up and he says, nope, I'm taking everything. Yeah. And Jadis has even said uh, specifically, they just take what they want. Like that's what they do. Yeah. They're, yeah, I don't think they have any honor. I think they're they're living in in a garbage town and they're garbage people and they're going to have a garbage deal. Huh. So this is going to backfire for Rick. He's he thinks he's got these people on board, but really he's just going to show up, hand over all the weapons he's found, which he could really use in his fight against Negan. But he's going to give them all away, and then they're just going to run back into their garbage huts and sit pretty with them. Yeah, sit, yeah, they're just going to say, yeah, we're, we'll, uh, we'll be here. We'll see you later. And, uh, you know, Rick's going to look around, but it's, uh, they've made this garbage place into a, a maze and uh, they won't be able to uh, find them or get to them. You know, I, and then they'll all escape. When they get cornered, they're all going to escape in their uh, flying saucers off the helipad. Right. <laughs> 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 they know they have that backup plan, you know, in their pocket at any That's right. moment. So, yeah. It's funny. I mean, I guess this this has to this can't be as simple as it seems to be going so far, right? I, I figure that something's got to go wrong here, um, and 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 the garbage, the scavengers double crossing Rick and everybody seems like a pretty likely scenario. But at the end of the day, what I think is going to happen is that for somehow. For some reason, I mean, the scavengers will be forced into the fight and they'll have to pick a side and they will ultimately pick Rick's side. Because the saviors... I hope not. The saviors... I hope we get double-crossed and it all goes friggin' sideways and everything gets messed up and then... Uh, I don't know what happens from there. Maybe Rick 
jumps on a horse and leaves town the, forever, the or rides off into the sunset. The saviors feel so powerful right now. It feels like we need, you know, uh, the hilltop, Alexandria, the kingdom, the scavengers, and Oceanside all to band together against them. But what if they actually separate into two sides and somebody joins Negan's crew? And so then say we have the saviors and the scavengers against Alexandria, Oceanside, and the hilltop. That could be interesting. It could be interesting. You know, it, and it might be something that happens right at the last second, too, when they're storming into battle. Rick gets there and realizes, oh, Negan's got all the junkyard folk as well. This isn't going to be as easy as we thought. All right. Sorry. Bear with me here. I'm just going to try and lay this out. So we have uh, Hilltop. We have Alexandria. We have uh, Scavengers. We have the Kingdom. Uh, and we have Negan. And Oceanside. And Oceanside. Okay. That's even better. Okay, so what if Negan is the dragon and uh, the, you know, the rest of the five people or five groups are the five armies and uh, what we have here is a hobbit situation. So they're going after the dragon. Once they uh-huh. kill the dragon to get the horde, I don't know. And then, uh, and then afterwards, this is, there's this five-way battle, uh, at, at, you know, once the, 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 there's a power vacuum and there's this big five-way battle uh, between the, the survivors in order to get what uh, Negan has. It could happen. It could happen. So they take down, they band together to take down Negan, but then they just end up infighting over what's what's left. Right. So if the final episode, have they named the have they named the final episode of this season yet? They have. Is it called There and Back Again? Uh, no. I I think it's called <laughs> The First Day of the Rest of Your Life. Okay. <laughs> um. But that only came out in the last few days. Um, it wasn't named before that. So the rest of the episodes are called Bury Me Here, The Other Side, Something They Need, and finally The First Day of the Rest of Your Life. Right. Okay. So I just, I think we, we got some kind of weird, uh, you know, smog hobbit situation going on here. I, I wonder if who has the ring. Somebody's got to have a ring, right? Sure, somebody's got a ring that can turn them invisible. Well, it does more than that, but that's one of the things. It just enhances your own natural abilities. One of the natural abilities of hobbits is to be able to hide because they need to be able, that's what they do. They're sneaky, right? Mm -hmm. So when, when, uh, when Frodo and Bilbo put on the ring, that's what, manifests first is that it turns invisible. When Sauron puts it on, it enhances his power and in order and enhances his ability to lead evil armies, right? So it, it, it's not just a invisibility ring. Is the, does the second thing it do to hobbits make their feet even bigger and hairier? It, well, probably. I don't see why not. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good. Well, I don't know, Jason, maybe we'll end up with a hobbit situation and they'll take out Negan and then all fight amongst each other. And then at the end of the day, we'll end up with one unified group of the survivors from that five group war. Right. Okay. So the, uh, just gonna, no, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to go into naming the, uh, the five armies, armies, but I think Jadis and the garbage people are the elves. I just think that they're the elves. Cause they're a bit weird. Cause they're a bit weird. And what I know about elves is they're a bit unusual. They're a bit unusual. All right. 
Okay, so finally, last but not least, we have Tracy on the internet. I was listening to you talk about powerful middle-aged Carol on your last show. I wanted to chime in that one of the things I really like about The Walking Dead is uh, is the diversity of the characters. I love that as a middle-aged woman, I can watch another middle-aged woman kick some ass. As a mother of ethnically diverse children, I can point to strong main characters that are diverse in race, race, gender, and age. Uh, and the hopeful thing to me is that diversity in such a successful program will show other television creators that diversity is a strength and not a liability. It's the kind of diversity in characters that I want my kids to see, and the fact that people are different races and or strong women, uh, contrary to, st- to stereotype, is not mentioned. It just is. Yeah, and, and I wanted to include that because I think it's a really good point. I don't know if there's really anything else to say there because Tracy expressed it well. It's a diverse show. Diversity is a strength. And uh, I think The Walking Dead seems to handle that particular issue really well without making it an issue. Yeah, without calling it out. I like that too. Right. Like they don't point to it and say, we have a, look at all the diversity we've got around here. You know, they don't, they don't point it out. They just, it's just the way the world is. Yeah. There's just, there's something a little bit disingenuous if you have to point it out. You know, what are you doing it for in that case? You just govern yourself that way. You just create a show that has those sorts of values. And I think it's a great thing. So I never really thought about it too much before, but Tracy made a really good point. I wanted to throw it in here at the end. That's a good point. Thanks, Tracy. Give her the last word. And uh, that is indeed the last word. So unusual Friday recording for us, but since we missed the last feedback episode, I wanted to do something. Of course, we will be back, hey, right after the weekend on Monday to talk about the next episode of The Walking Dead. Now it is episode number 13, and it's called Bury Me Here. So um, if you want to do a title read for that, you should, and you should send it in to us, talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and the other ways to get in touch with us are, of course, t- uh, Facebook at Talking Dead. No, Facebook, facebook.com slash The Talking Dead or Twitter at Talking Dead. And the email, as I said, is talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Visit the website to click on send voicemail to send us a voicemail message or just record it right into your phone and uh, email it to us that way. One other thing I want to address just before we wrap up here is the Record Your Favorite Scene contest. Now, Jason, earlier this week, we played an entry from Brad on the Gold Coast of Australia where he basically wrote a song and put Rick's, one of Rick's monologues to music. There has been somewhat of an uprising, I will call it, (laughs) in that a lot of people emailed and tweeted and said, listen, guys, you have your winner. No one is going to, like, if that doesn't win, it'll be a travesty. And all I have to say to that is there's plenty of time left to send in interesting, creative, and unique entries to this contest. So while Brad's entry was cool, and it was definitely interesting, unique, and creative, it is by no means by no means already the winner. So yeah. don't let that discourage you. Do your recordings and send them in. 
Yeah, what Brad sent in was uh, was excellent, but uh, I mean, we grade these things on uh, you know twenty seven different criteria. You know, he hit the mark on a few of those criteria. So, but there's lots of room in there for other people to excel in other areas. So, uh, you know, don't be discouraged. Send in stuff, uh, and uh, we look forward to hearing it all. Yeah, keep keep them coming. It's it's uh, Jason's right. I mean, recording quality is is actually not one of the criteria. It only is if we can we can't actually decipher what you're saying. It's so bad, but we've right. never had an entry like that. So, um yes, it was well recorded and again, like I said, unique and original and all that, but there's all kinds of things that go into our decisions. So, send them in. Don't be discouraged. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Well, in you know, bad Recording quality might be the kind of thing where if you take a uh, you take a beer can and you spin it on a lathe and you put a, a needle on that beer can and then you yell at the needle really loud, it'll gro- it'll carve a groove into that uh, that beer can, right? And if you mailed us that beer can and asked us to listen to it, that might you know score really low on the recording quality. But other than that, I think you're doing all right. <laughs> yes, uh, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> For a really poor recording, but you're right. That's how they started, right? They used to record them onto uh, wax cylinders. Yeah. Well, okay. So don't don't bother doing that. Just use your uh, handy little smartphone or computer. Oh yeah, that smartphones you've got. are much better than beer cans on a lathe. Much I, better. Yeah. I, hands down. Every time. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. Every single time. So, uh, anyways, record your favorite scene. Fire it into us via the email address talkingdeadpodcast at gmail and there are still weeks to go until the end of this season, so you you have time, and uh, I hope lots more entries continue to come in. All right, with that said, that is going to wrap it up for tonight's podcast. We'll be back on Monday, everybody, for Bury Me Here. And uh, until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao, ciao.